So here on the screen, we have a recent view of the venue of our story. This is taken from the Mount of Olives, looking down through the Kidron Valley and then up to Jerusalem. In the background, you see the Dome, uh, the Dome of the Rock Mosque, which is where the temple would have been. And then over in the slide on the right-hand side, overlooking the temple was where the high brooding walls and firm square towers of the Antonia stood, looking down on both the temple and the valley, and it is there that the Romans held their power. Now, I must say, when we hear about the Mount of Olives, as a child, I always imagine Jesus standing on a snow-capped mountain with his disciples on the rocks sort of around him, and then he came down from the mountain into uh, Jerusalem. Well, as you can see, it's not really a mountain in our sense of that word. It's actually a ridge that comes from the east toward Jerusalem, and it's about 30 meters higher than the city itself, and then the road goes down into the Kidron Valley and up. And this was the major road from the east into Jerusalem. So what kind of a day was Palm Sunday? Well, first, <laughs> it wasn't called Palm Sunday because that's a name we've put upon it. Uh, and for most people in Jerusalem, it would have been a very ordinary day. The permanent residents of the city would simply have been doing the things that they always did. They'd have been selling their lentils, they'd have been shopping, they'd have been meeting with friends, they'd have been preparing meals. It was not in any way an unusual day. It was just another one. For the Romans, it would have also been a usual day, but with a heightened sense of continuing and continuous vigilance. This was Passover coming up, the end of the week. And it meant that people from all around the world were pouring into Jerusalem for that great moment. And every year, and if you read the accounts of the time, it seemed like an almost seasonal thing. At this point, some radical or other would come in and start yelling and screaming and saying he was the Messiah and the Romans had to be overthrown. So as they stood in the Antonia that day and looked down on the temple and listened to the crowds in the valley below them, they would have been on guard. There wouldn't have been anyone from the Legio Decem Frententis, from the 10th Legion of the Strait, who would have been off duty that day. This is high alert. We're waiting. We're listening. We're watching. The major group, outnumbering certainly the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the Romans, would have been the pilgrims. And for them, it was a moment of excited religious ecstasy. This, for many, would be literally the trip of their lifetime. They would have scrimped and saved and planned for this one short time when they would travel to and be present in Jerusalem, in the temple in Jerusalem at one of the greatest feasts of the Jewish year. And they would have been just beside themselves with the wonder of the whole place, the shining white temple, the valley, all these places they'd heard about since they were children, they'd read about in scripture, and now we are here. And they would have been singing the great psalms as they went up to the temple. Now, this, by the way, was not unusual. On a pilgrimage, the hours were passed quite often, even as you cross countries, singing songs again 
and again and again. I talked about this a few years ago with an experience in Mexico where this does become an almost hypnotic mood that puts you in a meditative frame of mind. They just would sing the Psalms. If you've got an older Bible, I don't know why it's not in the newer Bibles, but uh, many of the Psalms have titles, and you'll see there's a great number of them called a Psalm of Ascent, which simply means it was a Psalm the Hebrews would sing when they were going up, when they were ascending to Jerusalem, or indeed right along the path. So the crowd would go from one song to another. There wouldn't be, obviously, song leaders, but the people would know them all, and as somebody thought of a new one, they would start a new one, sort of like a wave down in the uh, hockey arena. You know, you don't really know where it starts, but suddenly everyone is jumping up and down. So that's what this, the psalms would have been like. Somebody would begin to sing the psalm we have this morning, for example, the 118th psalm. Everyone would join in, and they'd sing it again and again. So there was that great underlying sense of history, I think, too. When it says, you know, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, most of them were thinking about the great kings of the past who would walk up this very path. And then from certainly Solomon onward, they would have been walking up to the temple, just like we are today. This is, this is magnificent. Now, I'm sure if the Romans had asked them, what are you actually singing about? And they were singing, oh, we're just singing about the glories of King Herod, who represents God. Uh, Jews, by the way, hated Herod. But, you know, if, if you want to think what we're thinking, then that's what it is, and just go away with that idea. For Jesus' followers, it was an odd day, I'm quite sure. They realized they were marching into a growing gloom. The authorities were taking note. They were watching. There was danger, but at the same time, they were walking with the one who represented God up into the very temple, the very heart of the Jewish faith. Now, keep in mind, I should say first, that this was not a large group compared to the thousands who would have been pilgrims. I mean, we tend to make Palm Sunday all about Christians and think it was Jesus and the disciples and 20,000 followers. No, that would be very historically questionable. Jesus' retinue with which he traveled around the country would have been the 12 disciples, probably their wives, children, a few followers. It wouldn't have been big because Jesus would have had to feed them, and he didn't have great amounts of money. We know he had supporters, but they would not be a large crowd. So the core of the Christian community that had come to this place at this time would have been fairly small. There were also people in Jerusalem who would have heard about him. But remember, this was an age before social media. I mean, you would say, well, everyone would know about Jesus. Well, how would they know about Jesus? Jesus is from the north. The north. Yeah. He's, and, and nobody particularly liked the north. Like we have people here today from Edmonton, who I'm not going to mention. Um, <laughs> But, that, but you didn't hear about it. It wasn't instantaneous. So some people have said, we hear there was somebody here who's been preaching and causing quite a fuss up north. But So probably another maybe 100 people who came for that. Maybe some had met people who knew him. But they were a small group in the midst of this larger group that were singing the Psalms. So they would be singing the same words, but they were singing them with a very different meaning. You know, blessed is the one who comes in the name of our God. Uh, they weren't thinking like some people were of the glorious past where Solomon would have gone up to the temple. 
They were thinking, as some were, about the proposed future in which the Messiah would come someday and break the rule of Rome. That was another thought. That's what the Romans were worried about. No, the Christians were thinking about right now. We are with someone who is proclaiming the realm of God is among us. This is a present tense situation. And it was also a present tense situation. You know, I, well, you wonder if the Romans listening and looking said, you know, that group over there, they're singing the words differently. They're giving it a twist. We're not really sure what they're thinking, but it probably isn't particularly good for us. Watch them. And I'm sure in the crowd, especially the more, might say, pessimistic, some would say realistic group, we're wondering what actually have we gotten ourselves into? We're following this man into what looks like it could be one great dead end. I mean, yes, we believe what he said. He believed the realm of God is with us. Justice can be done. People can love one another. God is with us. But, you know, this is dangerous. We've seen the crosses along the road. The Romans left them there. Usually, places like Golgotha, the upright pillar would stay in place permanently, and they would just simply put the, the T, the top of the T, on it. So they'd seen the crosses, and there may have been bodies who had been there that had been on those crosses for weeks. And they knew what happened to people who defied the power of Rome. So I'm sure there were some who were saying, yeah, we're enthused. Jesus is so sincere. Uh, but, uh, you know, what is really going to happen? And I think probably that makes us somewhat questioning today as well. We again have returned to that point where we are a minority in a much larger world. And as we read about world events happening, that sometimes becomes extremely clear. And we too may say, is it just optimism? We came in, we waved our palm branches, we're all singing, we're all happy, God is with us, God loves us. But what does that really mean in the real world? If we had decided, we could probably have done a brainstorming session here today where we have put the big board up here, and I would have asked, give me some problems in the world. And we could probably have spent this entire hour doing exactly that. Everything in the environment, politics, revolution, measles, uh, bus crashes, you know, hockey game losses. You know, what, what are all the problems in the world? And, and we could probably then have gone out in a state of deep depression and said, well, yeah, Hosanna, yeah, there, there it is. That's it. Is it just optimism? Is that all we're really talking about? Come here and be happy. Whistle a happy tune in the midst of the cacophony of the world around us. Not so for the person who put this story together. When John tells in his own inimitable style the story of Palm Sunday, Every phrase in that passage, and those of you in Bible study probably went through this, every phrase is saying something about Jesus, something about Jesus' ministry, because that's what is meant, from the uh, going down this particular road to riding the uh, donkey to having uh, blankets thrown over the donkey to singing Psalm 118. Everything that is mentioned here in some way is answering the question that the early Christians were asking, especially the early second generation Christians. What is this really all about? We had a very honest comment last night. I'm looking for people that I can't see. But, you know, 
when we asked what about the resurrection, and the question was, yeah, it was great, but you know, it happened a long time ago. Palm Sunday happened a long time ago. But, but the writer said, no, no, this is tied into something much bigger. And that's what this story is meant to point out. That this was the one who comes in the name of God. This is the one for, which we, for whom we can give thanks. This is the one who brings peace and love and hope to the world. There is something important, something vital, something transformational, something dynamic happening here. And thus, this isn't just a story about Jesus going up with a big crowd into Jerusalem. This is a story about Christians everywhere who are, in a very real sense, a part of that parade. We still carry the palm branches, although, as Andy quickly pointed out to me, they aren't really mentioned in the story or in any of the stories at all. Usually it says they got sticks. We don't know. But we're a part of that. And, and what does that mean? I mean, are we just... Are we just whistling in the wind, you know? It's a part of our ministry, and that's how the passage ends, you'll note. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. The Romans are watching, you know. Cool it. Say everyone should love one another. No one's going to get angry with that. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. So we're the ones then in that parade. Powers are watching. Many are simply apathetic. And I think that's something the church is is gradually getting to understand. That many really don't care. Oh, you went to Palm Sunday. That's nice. Good. What's on tonight on TV? Uh, But we are the ones crying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is not optimism. This is not naivety. This is not just something to make us feel good for at least one hour out of the entire week. In the midst of it all, this is the definition of who Jesus was, who his followers were, and who we are. That's what this story is. We are in the parade, moving into the real, honest, everyday world that's out beyond those doors. We are the speakers of truth. In a world which is gagging on an increasing diet of destructive, unwholesome information, we are people who are attempting as best we can to bring people a fulfilling meal of healing, nourishing truth. By the way, I'm not saying that everything the minister says on Sunday me excluded, but any, anything that we say here is, is right and perfect and 100% accurate. I'm not saying that everything the church does is beyond fault. No, no, we're not saying that. We're saying, though, that our goal, our motivation, our sincere hope is that we are in some way proclaiming a truth to the world which is life-giving and worthwhile. We cannot be bought out, I would hope, by large corporations, by political movements, by other things in the world that are attempting, unfortunately, in an increasing way in our Western democracies to control things. Some years ago, I went to a speaker whose life work, and he got a six-figure salary for this, his life work had been going around the United States of America telling people that public health care is destructive and cannot work. He was obviously, if you read the papers at all or watch TV, quite successful. 
you know, he had all these pseudo facts and figures that had been given him by the large medical corporations who make billions each year on people, by the large insurance companies, by the drug companies. And he went around and he convinced the American people that none of the countries that have public health care are happy. They're miserable, horrible, overtaxed, oppressed people. That was his job. Now, as you can maybe guess, he has repented of that and is now speaking for groups like Friends of Medicare saying to people, no, you know, we lied. But that's what we as a church have to be on the lookout for, those wonderful messages that seem all prevalent, that are on the Internet, that are around us on the papers, that hit facts that really just aren't ringing true. And as a church, we should be smart enough, wise enough, honest enough to analyze them and say, no, that's not the truth that will bring life and hope to people. As speakers of truth, as speakers of truth, we are also people who are willing, thank God for this, to deal with difficult issues. So often, many groups, many societies, many private clubs, you know, just sort of skirt the difficult issues. Let's not talk about that right now. Let's just wait until sometime when things get worse. I was very proud of the United Church in the 80s when we began to deal with the whole lesbian, gay, bisexual community, when we began to look at the issue and said, we're not saying that we understand what's going on in society, but this is a part of our society that we ignore. We ignore completely. Why? What's happening? What do we think about this theologically? What do we think about this as people who proclaim love and even then inclusion? And good for us. But it means we can because God is with us. And even if we come to a dead end in an issue, we said, well, at least we were honest enough to discuss it. At the time of that, by the way, I met quite accidentally with a Pentecostal minister from south of here, one of the many towns that stretched down to the American border. And he said, I, when he introduced himself as pastor so-and-so, I'm with such and such Pentecostal church. Of course, I immediately you know, slipped on my ring of invisibility and attempted to leave the coffee shop. But... <laughs> He said, no. He said, you know, I envy you people. I envy the United Church of Canada because you're dealing with an issue that we're going to deal with in 30 years. And we're afraid to deal with it now. Second great identity mark of the Christian community, we appreciate, we love, we hang on to truth, and we're willing to explore everywhere to find what is true here, what isn't true, what should we be doing, what shouldn't we be doing, why aren't we dealing with this issue, how could we, and what would that mean to who we are? Now, I know some people at this point usually break in and say, yes, but I remember the good old non-controversial days of the church. And to those people, I say, you know, please tell me when that was. Because it hasn't been, my friends. It's the rose-covered glasses looking back at the past where the sun always shone and there was no rain or storms. Read your New Testament. The church was in hot water from the second Palm Sunday ended throughout history. We've been persecuted. We've been put down. We've been denied citizenship. We've been denied rights. We fought for women to be able to vote. What a horrible idea. You know, women are going to vote now. We fought to end slavery. Slavery was considered natural. Those words were actually used. The divine right of kings. Some of the people who first began to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, where does divine right come into all this? The church throughout the years has been a group who have been willing to get into trouble and who have, and who have survived in spite of it. 
I think the difference today is that we're no longer in power. When I, when I, that's twice in one service. My kids would be so proud of me. When I was young, I remember being regaled with stories about how when the Prime Minister of Canada has a difficult decision to make, he'll call the moderator of the United Church and the Presbyterian Church and the head of the Anglican Church and the Catholic Diocese, and he'll discuss with them about what should be done in this situation. Now you can all close your little eyes and in fantasy imagining that happening today. No, that's not going to happen today. But we were once the social institution of certainly North America. No, for those of you who are deluded by that, no, we aren't. We're now back to where we were. We're back to where the slide is. We're the little group of people in a very big crowd, crying our hearts out and singing with joy because we do have something that has power. We do have something that was transformational. And we're asking them to listen. We can't make people listen but we're doing our job, and that's who we are. And if we feel alone, I think it's just because we got so used to just being a place where everybody came on Sunday because that doesn't really matter what you believe. That's what you do on Sunday morning. That's the society in which I was brought up. It's not the society today. And it's a group in which we are asking others to become involved. You've already had one call for uh, volunteering today. I remind you to speak with me after the service. I'm going to watch to see how many people go out the other door today. You know, <laughs> Don't go near him. He's got a clipboard. No, no, no. And there will be people later who will be asking for help and support. Now, some people say, well, you know, churches have problems. Yes. <laughs> Nobody's denying that. But isn't that the time you want to be part of something to make changes? Isn't that the time you want your voice to be heard? This is not a time when you wander away and say, well, they've got problems. I'm going to find some place that doesn't have problems. If you find it, please write me, gdawson, houseofdawson.com. Um, you won't find it. No, this is the time we're asking you to come and to share tension with us, to share ideas with us, to share change with us, and be a part of that dynamic community that waves palm branches in the face of all things. So what are we to do? What are we to say? You know, what is our message as we go around with our little palm branches in our daily lives? There was a story that years ago, Dr. James Clark, one of the great Scottish preachers, uh, came to a theological college to teach preaching. And of course, all the student ministers had crowded in. They were all waiting to hear, you know, what's, what's his magic solution to giving a great sermon? And he said, what is the purpose of preaching. And of course the students, you know, the guy in the front row, there was the woman in the front row, there was always one of these, oh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, preaching is to inspire people. Preaching is to proclaim the word of the living Christ. Preaching is to transform. No, no, it's near what it's for. The purpose of preaching is to raise the dead. That's the purpose of preaching. To go out into a society in which many people feel dead. They either feel nothing, which by the way equals being dead, or they feel that there is no hope, or they feel they're overwhelmed, or they feel that how can we make changes? How can we look at the environment and make a new environment? How can we look at economics and change things? How can we look at politics? Yeah, they, they feel hopeless. They feel helpless. They feel dead. And our task as the Christian church is to go down the road with our little palm branches waving eagerly behind us, and be a part of a small group 
a very vocal, very loud, very happy, very joyous, very loving, very healing people and say, this is where we're going. Behold the one who comes in the name of God. Peace on earth. This is our message. This is the parade we belong to. And with that in mind, our final item for our briefcase, or our suitcase, and I think not to put inside, but let's stick it in the handle so it can mark us, is simply the mark of who we are as Christians. How we live our lives. We live our lives looking for real truth. Not that the easy answers are political slogans, no. We live our lives as people willing to face that truth and to live it out in the world. Yeah, there's difficulty. Of course there is. God is with us. Hallelujah. And for this, thanks be to God. And the whole people of God shall say, Amen. Our final hymn, Ride On.